Okay, once again, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Well, after about a two-month break from the Gospel of Matthew, or Gospel of St. Matthew, as some of us uh, learned it growing up, we return today. And we return to chapter 19. And if you have the heading in your Bible there, it says uh, marriage and divorce. And that is a big, big subject. And what happens? It snowed. Uh, as I often say around here, from Satan with love. <laughs> and, and to me, that's too big a subject for us to go through on a snow day for a number of reasons. It's something that affects so many people. Another reason is Jesus' answer is, is really a work of art. It's really a work of art. The, the, the kooky religious leaders come to him and they go, we want to know your feelings on divorce. And Jesus looks at them and says, why don't we talk about marriage instead? And then the apostles go, oh, this is all tough. And he talks to them about, he talks to them about singleness. And so that's what we'll be talking about the next couple of weeks. And I just thought it would just not be right uh, to have so many people miss such an important subject. So, so rather than jump into that on a snow day, I just wanted to do a, a short but really important recap of where we are that could be easily missed from these first two verses that I just read. Uh, chapter 19 marks a huge transition in the Gospel of Matthew that is, is not really obvious. And so what I've entitled today's message is, On His Way to Jerusalem. On His Way to Jerusalem. Verse 1 says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings. What sayings? Well, remember chapter 18 was about forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. And so after he had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Matthew opens uh, this chapter with these words, now it came to pass. Uh, if you say that sounds a little bit familiar, that's the language that Matthew uses when he transitions from one section of his gospel to another section of his gospel. Uh, what's happening now is Jesus has done most of his ministry in Galilee, and now he is leaving Galilee and his ministry in Galilee is over. He will not be back until after the cross and resurrection. So in the, in the body he has now, this is his last time in Galilee, he is leaving. He will not return until he returns in a resurrected body. Jesus is now doing something very deliberate, and it's very important that we don't miss that. He is deliberately moving towards Jerusalem. He is deliberately moving towards the cross. He knows why God sent him, and that's his mission. He is moving to provide uh, for all people who put their trust in him a way to receive God's forgiveness of all their sins, to receive their, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and to be able to spend eternal life in heaven. But that shouldn't surprise us. We would think that by this point in time, we would understand that because he's already told us he was going to do this. He has already told us that he would go to Jerusalem 
and be killed by the religious leaders. Back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Matthew writes, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. I often refer to those guys as the religious leaders and be killed and be raised the third day. What's interesting in the chapters to follow is we sort of have this this duel going on between the religious leaders and Jesus. The religious leaders are doing everything they can do uh, to discredit Jesus along the way. They're doing everything that they can do to, to judge Jesus, if you will. And every time, Jesus just flips it on them. He just flips it on me. He's just so brilliant. He, he knows what's coming. He knows how to answer them. He knows where they're off. And, and as they try to judge him, he flips the judgment and says, the judgment's not upon me. The judgment is upon you. Yet in the midst of this, you think you have all these problems in your life. And you ever have so many problems and things going on in your life, you're just like, I can only focus on this one thing now. I, I, have, to, I have to throw everything else to the side. And a lot of times people will say to me, well, I need to take a break from serving God because I have to focus on this one thing. But a lot of times that break is your sanity. <laughs> that, that break is going to be the thing that is just like, wow, it's nice to have a vacation from me for a couple hours and, 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 to, and to pour myself into other people. That's why when I say people, a lot of times I'll say, you want to be a success in ministry, leave yourself in the car. Just, just leave yourself in the car, leave your problems in the car, and just, you know, just come on in, worship God, and, and get to serving him, and you'll really, you'll do, you'll do a lot better, and it's, it'll be one of the best things for you. And, and, and as he's going through this, in the midst of all the problems that he knows is in the moment, the religious leaders are coming after him. We'll see that next week as the Pharisees, some of them show up. Uh, he can't even get a free day, a free time. Uh, people are following him, as we just read. He continues on his mission. He continues teaching uh, the disciples. He continues teaching the people what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a kingdom man or woman. If you will, chapter 19 and 20, interesting, Luke's gospel covers this period in about 10 chapters, uh, but, but in chapters 19 and 20, Jesus is on the road trying to deal with the traps of the religious leaders and clarifying the word of God to people who have been polluted by the religious leaders and, and, the, the, and their scripture twisting, and he's clarifying things for people so they understand ex- exactly what God has said. Now, chapters 19 subjects are of major importance. He talks about, as we said, marriage and divorce. Again, just brilliant answer. I mean, we're going to cover that next week. I was just like, I'm reading this, and I'm like, my goodness, is he smart. I mean, how is he? Really? I mean, he, he, they, they, just, they just sort of kind of pit Moses against Jesus. They're trying to pit Jesus against the different schools of thought of the day. And Jesus is like, why don't we just read the Bible? <laughs> like, why and they're like, wow, what a thought. And, and, and so he, he, he's on the road. He's covering these subjects. He's going to talk about singleness. What, 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 what does it mean to be single? He's going to bless some children along the way. I, I find it hard to believe that, that that's not intentional after it comes after, you know, forgiveness, restoration, marriage, divorce, singleness. He blesses children. And then he's going to go on and he's going to talk to about riches and the kingdom of God. 
and, and how riches can really skew the way we think about the kingdom of God. Now, as a faithful Jew, Jesus has been to Jerusalem before. Now, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't really talk about that because it doesn't really serve their purposes. They're writing these, these gospels, these good news accounts of Jesus Christ. But, but John does recap Jesus going to the temple uh, earlier. And, and, and as a good Jew, they had to go periodically throughout the year. And so Jesus has been doing that. But this trip, although it will be for the Passover, when he eventually gets there to, for, to be crucified, will be very different. He is going there to really uh, fulfill all of his mission. Jesus came to, to live a perfect life in our place. He came to share the good news of the kingdom of God, all very, very important. But ultimately, he came to die on the cross to call people uh, to turn from their sin, uh, to put their trust in him and he, uh, before either they die or before the end of time, which he will have some stuff to talk about in the ensuing chapters. Verse 2, to me, demonstrates the heart of Jesus. It says, And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Mark tells us in his account that Jesus was teaching the people. It's very interesting. You're like, why does one guy say teaching, one guy say healing? Because with Jesus, they're, they're really one and the same. Is by, is by teaching people, he is also healing people, and he's healing people, and he is teaching people. So despite the rejection that has been going on from the religious leaders and now is only going to really heat up, Despite the cross looming, and, and let's realize that Jesus was truly God and truly man, and so you've got to be thinking to yourself, and he knows he's going to be separated from God. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? None of that really looks appealing, does it? I mean, for most of us, we're like, oh, I've got to get up and drive to church in the snow. Are you kidding me? And, and so, but Jesus is here. He's looking at his life, and he's thinking, boy, I'm going to come to this, to this horrible, horrible ending. And despite knowing what's ahead of him, what is he doing? He's still healing people. He's still teaching people. He's still loving people. That's who Jesus is. And I think sometimes that's a message we have to communicate to people. We're so all concerned about, about saying the right things and about not looking like, you know, idiots and, and stuff like that. And really just saying who Jesus is. People say, well, God's too busy for me. Now you've been here. You can say, oh, no, 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 no. You know, when he was actually on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross, he was stopping to heal people. He was stopping to meet people. He was stopping to teach people because that's who he is. And he's never too busy for people. And if you want him to, to, to take a break and to talk to you, he'd be happy to. You just need to talk to him. You see, Jesus is always ready to teach and to heal. And I believe with all of my heart that even today, Jesus' teaching, I get to see it all the time, Jesus' teaching heals hearts. Yes, I do believe that he can heal our bodies, for sure I do. However, we see a lot more the healing of hearts than we do of the healing of bodies apart from, from natural healing. And who does he heal? Well, we're told right here, the great multitudes that follow him. And, and how important that we are about telling people the good news of Jesus so they become part of the great multitudes that follow him. Sadly, uh, there are those, uh, oddly enough, the religious leaders 
that the more Jesus loved them, the more they hated him. And, and that's part about what we're going to talk about in a second. It's a, it's a real hard issue. In, in verse 8, in, in talking about, they're talking about divorce. And, and Jesus introduces this notion that, that the whole idea that Moses allowed for it, they, they twist it. They go, well, Moses commanded us. And Jesus is like, well, that's not what he, he said. He, he allowed it in, in cases where, where your hearts are hard. Very interesting, you know, Jesus identifies the real reason between people's hatred of him. The, the real reason behind people's dismissal of God's word. Uh, sometimes people will say, it, you know, it's an intellectual thing or it's this or that. And Jesus would say, okay, but, but let's talk about your heart. How, how is your heart, you know, the, the very core of your humanity, how is it, how is it towards me. You know, for us, it's hard to judge the motives of people. Be very, very careful of that. A lot of times I'll hear people say, well, they did this because of that, or they did this because of that. And I'll say, well, you don't really know that. You don't really know why people do what they do. Uh, certainly, we can, uh, we can observe certain sins in people. Uh, and if they tell us why they did it, maybe, maybe they don't even know why they did it. But we can observe certain sins in people, but only Jesus can look into the heart. And that's one of the reasons why we teach the Word of God, because the Word of God itself tells us that it can read our hearts. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Other versions say, in fact, most versions say that, it, that it, it understands, it sees the attitudes of the heart. So, so what is a hard heart? Well, well, many things could be said, but it is such an important thing for all of us to really think about ourselves. I mean, are we really on the road with Jesus? And, and it's hard to be on the road with Jesus if we have a hard heart. A hard heart resists the will of God. Plenty of people, you know, they, they, they seem like they're religious, uh, but, but you're, sometimes you think, well, are they really? I mean, the religious leaders seemed like they were God's people, but they killed Jesus. They killed God. We love God, but we're going to kill him. You just think, okay, something doesn't compute. Something doesn't match up. And a, and a hard heart resists the will of God, and it resists the word of God. It hears the word. It has no desire to do what it says. Uh, it hears the word and says, well, who does that guy up on the stage think he is? I'm going to go to a church that tells me how, how wonderful I am. It resists uh, even reading the word of God or, or you know, taking the parts out that they, that they don't like about it. And, you know, it's like take, taking a Sharpie to their Bible and just saying, I never want to read that stuff again, which is not always the easiest thing to do because Jesus is able to rebuke us from every single sentence in the Bible uh, about, about our hard hearts instead of Wanting God's way, a hard heart wants what? Wants its own way. Isaiah 53, 6, Isaiah wrote this over 700 years before Jesus lived. All we like sheep have gone astray. That would be like all of us. <laughs> we have just, we've just wandered away from God. Now, sheep, you think they're like wandering away, going like, you know, oh, this is, a, I'm really sorry about this. No, they're just, they're just going he says, we have turned everyone to his own way. 
I don't know about you, but I don't feel exempt from that. You know, kind of like all we, we have turned everyone to his own way. So what, it, what is Isaiah saying? That we all have some sense of a hard heart towards God. Uh, some hearts are harder than others. We, 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 we want to do our own way. As we see next week, the, the Pharisees, they, they twist the scriptures to their own way. Or we, or we say that, you know, oh, well, God is loving. He's forgiving. He's, he's, he's full of grace. And, and so we make the word of God say something that it never said. And, and what happens is that this type of heart, even though you might be very jovial about it, God considers it to be a hard heart. And, and the result is obvious. It eventually, this heart sins against God's way. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how a God's intention for marriage is a oneness. And yet, a hard heart uh, is, while it breaks marital oneness, it also breaks the oneness that we have with God. When our heart is hard towards God, you know that in any relationship that you have, if you can't, you can't stand the person, you don't want to look at the person, you don't want to listen to the person, you don't want to talk to the person, that, that, that relationship is in jeopardy. Now, while in this chapter it will pertain to marriage, uh, what he's going to tell us is that the soft-hearted love that, that a man and woman once had for one another is gone. And that can be just for certain people. For some people, if the heart becomes hard enough, it then becomes all people. You, you've been hurt by one or two people in your life. Could be very serious. Could be very, very serious. I'm not discounting that. But now everybody becomes the enemy. Everybody is out to get you. And, and you don't give people a fair chance. And if you don't think that that affects your love for God, then you're not in a good place. You're, you're, I hate to use this word, but you're really deceived. Because if, you're that, if you have that hard heart towards people, then something is wrong with your heart towards God, you say, well, how can you say such a thing? Because look at Jesus' heart towards people. People are going to kill him, and yet he still goes. A lot of these people that he heals are going to reject him, and yet he still heals. A lot of these people that are going to discount his teaching, he still teaches. People with hard hearts cease to be open uh, to what others have to share with them. And more importantly, they are not open to the corrective change of the word of God. In, in fact, um, they, they often start out just kind of ignoring it and, until eventually they end up in the place where they flat out reject it. Sadly, and this is something we all have to be careful of, uh, many people like the religious leaders, uh, those who claim to live by the word of God, are often some of the most susceptible people to a hard heart. Because what happens, it's, it's very easy if we're not careful in our total understanding of the Bible. That's why we want to be good students of the Bible. We can end up becoming too rigid. But we can also end up becoming too lenient. And so we are going to see in Jesus this incredibly proper balance of, of understanding that that, you know, when some people would say, you know, oh, there, there can never be a divorce. And, and Jesus says, well, actually, it's not a perfect world. Maybe that's the way God, you know, wanted it. But, but it's not a perfect world. And those things are, are going to happen. And so he, he talks about that. But, but that does not negate, which the word of God always gives us, God's original intent for things. 
in this chapter, he's, he's going to you know, demonstrate uh, how we can have a hard heart in marriage, how we can have a hard heart in, in singleness, how we can have a hard heart towards God in attaining great wealth where, where one's desires are for once where good things become inappropriate and then they become desires that, that rule their lives unless they or we or you or I allow the word of God to change us. So it's no accident that this chapter comes after chapter 18. I mean, there's Matthew writing, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's no, it's no accident that this chapter and the challenge of the strict religious leaders, the rigid religious, the rigid religious leaders is coming right after the chapter on forgiveness and, and, and restoration. And I think for a lot of the people who are, are married in our congregation, that this is going to be a, a point of growth for a lot of people. I think for those who are single, it's going to help them understand their, their singleness better. Hard hearts really struggle to accept what God has given us. Hard hearts really struggle to forgive people. And, and oddly enough, I don't know how this works, but, but when you can't forgive people, it often even no matter how much you smoke screen it, it often becomes very difficult for you to experience the reality of God's forgiveness towards you. When your heart is hard, it's not only hard towards other people, but it's hard before God and what he wants to do in your life. Hard-hearted people are all about themselves, often claiming to be the victim, blaming others for their lot in life. Nothing is ever good enough for hard-hearted people. And sadly, they often believe the worst of people. And, and one thing I've noticed over the years about people whose hearts are hard, um, they believe the worst of people and they think that everybody believes the worst of them. Do you know anybody who's really dishonest? I mean, every word that comes out of their mouth is a total lie. You know what they assume about other people? That they're exactly like them. I'm a liar, therefore you must be a liar. And, and it's, a, it's a sign of a hard heart. The result of a hard heart is often isolation from the people of God and how easily that morphs into isolation from God himself. And just like the religious leaders, it is so easy to be going through the motions and to become blind to it. Hard hearts ruin relationships, lead to sinful practices, lead to individualism and isolation. Hard hearts are very, very dangerous. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Another version says, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So, each of us already, in, in some fashion, has a bit of a hard heart. And certainly, we all have at least the potential for a hard heart. So what are the keys to not be that way? Well, two simple ones are confession and forgiveness. To confess our sins to God and to seek his forgiveness. To confess our unforgiveness God to God and grant forgiveness to others. These are true sign, two signs of a true, legitimate follower of Jesus Christ. You say, why would you say that confession and forgiveness are signs of a true follower of Jesus Christ? Because it's the way we enter the kingdom. 
We confess our sins to God. We confess our unbelief to God and we seek his forgiveness. And then we continue all along the way. The Christian life is a repenting life. It is a confessing life where we're constantly saying to the Lord, you know, I did that, it was wrong. Please help me with that. And, and over time, you begin to change because of the power of God at work uh, in your life. And a constant reminder of the forgiveness that has been given to you is your ability to forgive others, is the power that lies behind your ability to forgive others. Hiding our feelings from people and just, you know, kind of letting that bitterness soak in our heart, uh, failing to forgive people will harden our hearts and so will not confessing it to God. Bitterness and resentment are a cancer to our hearts, a cancer to our souls, and they just make our hearts harder and harder. In the case of the religious leaders, they were hard-hearted towards their Savior, Isn't that often the case? You try and help people and they become more hard-hearted towards you. And here that Jesus is trying to give them the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He's preaching the kingdom to them and their hearts are growing harder and harder despite their religiosity. Yet, Jesus, without any bitterness, without any resentment, marches towards the cross so you and I So all who would put their trust in him could experience the forgiveness of sins. You know, I read Isaiah 53, 6, and I didn't have the guys put it on the screen because I I purposely didn't want to finish it. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. This is a prophecy of the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. We've all gone our own way. And over 700 years before Jesus came, God says, everybody's gone their own way. And what did God do? God laid on him on the cross the sin of us all. And you received the benefit of the sin being laid upon Jesus. You receive that benefit, or as theologians say, it is actualized by, instead of being a sheep that goes your own way, by turning from your way to God's way. That's what repentance is. We have to do that initially to come into the family of God, but we have to do that our whole lives. Why? Because we're constantly prone to wander. We're constantly prone to go our own way. And so we turn to God from our own way, and he laid on him the iniquity of us all. We trust that Jesus Christ took all of our sins on the cross. Jesus' teaching on forgiveness, though, goes beyond mere words. It will be demonstrated on the cross, and now we have turned that great corner and he is on his way. Jesus is a man on a mission. So let me ask you, friend, are you on that mission with him? Are you you ready to accompany him? I pray we are. And as we do, as we gaze upon Jesus Christ on the cross, let us behold his beauty. Let us behold his holiness. Let us behold his love, his grace. As we move further in Matthew's gospel, let us see Jesus in the word of God. Let us walk with him in faith on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross. Well, let's pray.